Thank you. My son said to me when we were singing uh, that first song, he said, we're singing a brand new song tonight? I said, this is not a brand new song, son. I said, by the time you're my age, I said, this is a timeless song. I said, by the time you're my age, you're going to know this song very, very well. Um, and it's uh, traditions like this that will help our, our children uh, know these songs uh, for many years to come. And so we're so glad that y'all are with us tonight. Um, we understand uh, that this is a season of, of much busyness, of much gathering and celebration uh, with good reason. And, um, and so uh, the fact that you took time uh, with you and your family to come here, uh, we, we don't take that lightly. It's an honor to us, and we thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, let's do this. Let's bow uh, before our Lord Jesus. Let's pray in his name unto our Father for the Spirit to come. And then for Jesus to come. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, we pray and we thank you for this time. We thank you for this night that we get to be together. That we get to uh, consider you. We get to honor you. We get to worship you. Lord, we pray and we do intend to do that tonight. Uh, Lord, my prayer is that we will stay true to our word. That tonight... Uh, as we are gathered here, it will be in your name and for your purpose. Uh, Lord, uh, my prayer is also that as we gather uh, before you, that we would know that we, we want to give you honor, we want to give you worship, but Lord, we only give because you first gave to us. Might we be humbled by that reality? Uh, Lord, you have given us life. You have given us your son. You have given us forgiveness. You have given us a promise for which we wait. Lord, you are the giver. And that is why we worship you. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask that you would uh, meet with us receive our worship, attend to our hearts, Lord. Lord, we come in here from various places with various questions on our minds, various burdens, various things that are distracting us even, Lord. Lord, I know that your spirit can speak into all of that. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to each of us tonight and speak to us collectively. Uh, Lord, we pray and we just... Uh, well, we surrender this time to you. We pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Amen. Amen. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be reading uh, the Christmas story. It seems like the most, uh, uh, the best way that we can spend our time together tonight is by rehearsing this story. Uh, if your children get a little uh, antsy and ram rambunctious, um, I'm going to tell y'all, I'm okay with that. Uh, I know as a parent, you're not okay with that. Uh, you want them to be in line. And, and also, you're going to feel embarrassed if they're making the noise. We will do our best not to make you feel embarrassed. But I can't manage your feelings for you. Uh, now, if any of you are here and you're cur curmudgeons and you're like, these kids are being too loud. Well, you need to get over that. 
All right, uh, that's just a feeling we need to move past. Uh, we welcome our children. Uh, children, we're going to tell you a story about Jesus and how he was born tonight. Y'all probably have heard it many times over the last few weeks and uh, throughout your life, but, uh, but the story is the story. It is the story of all humanity until that next moment when Jesus comes again. This is the moment that we have to celebrate God becoming human and the way he did become human. Um, Brother Will, you are way ahead of me, my friend. Uh, it's all right, though. Uh, no, you can go back. You can go back. So the story, as we are told, is often highly dramatized. Uh, this story, as we have received it, um, it, it gets add, added layers of, um, of, of flair for dramatic effect. And, uh, and then also, it gets pietized. What I mean by that is, is everybody makes this a highly religious story. So we often have a nativity scene that looks like this. And I, uh, if you came in earlier and you saw some of the nativity scenes uh, scrolling through, the nativity scene is usually of, uh, of Mary. There would be Joseph there, but Brother Mitch broke him a few years ago and we forgot to replace him. Um, so, uh, so just imagine Joseph's there too. Um, and then um, you have a shepherd and then you have the wise men. Of course, we all know, hey, great historical fact is that the wise men weren't there the night that Jesus was born, but it's part of the scene. It's part of the image. It's part of the nativity scene. But look, everybody is bowing in worship to Jesus. And, and, and we do that because Jesus is the one to whom all worship is due. But, but, but really, that kind of even takes the thrust and the, and the magic and the mystery out of this story in, in the first place because this story is not about a God who came and said, everybody bow down to me and worship. This story is about a God who came off of his throne. And he walked with his people. He identified with them. From the very first moments that you and I were conceived, he identifies with us in that. From the exiting of the womb he identifies with us in that and so uh, miss felisa had shared this on her facebook a few weeks ago and this image has stuck with me now brother will if you will please uh advance this slide and 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 this is another way that we could image the nativity scene doesn't that seem a little bit more reasonable Exhausted after a long journey. Uh, mothers, uh, after your babies were born, were you ready to hop off the gurney and bow down before them? Uh, so, as we read the story tonight, uh, the drama, the drama is that uh, God who we get wrong when we image him. When we try to create God, we always get him wrong. God, who wants to be known by us, did something that we would never imagine a God doing. 
He set his divinity aside and he became human, flesh and blood. That's the drama of the story. The religious piety, right? Let's not trap this story with all that. This was a, a flesh and blood man who had to reckon with the reality that his soon-to-be bride was somehow now pregnant. He had to receive this, this outrageous, outrageous reality that she didn't step out on him, but that she was miraculously given a child about this young woman who in our modern era would we would still consider a child an adolescent we didn't even have the word for teens until i think like the 1920s or 1950s this young woman who's accepting everything that's going to come with not only being a mom, but being the mom of the Christ. With that, tonight, as we've been going through our Advent season, we've been talking about, we are waiting. And we've been thinking about those who waited before us. Tonight, what I want us to do is simply look at Joseph and Mary. So we wait, but we can look to Joseph and Mary. And just just a few details that I might bring out, but you open yourself to what the Holy Spirit might have for you. Because he might tell you something far more deep or pressing than, than I'm able to say in this moment. So with that, I'm going to begin reading in the Gospel of Matthew. Verse number 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. That's a Jewish way of saying it happened this way. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So before Joseph and Mary had consummated their marriage relationship, she was found pregnant. Matthew does not choose to give us any further details about how this happened. However, the Gospel of Luke, we read. Uh, Chapter number 1, verse number 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, if you think that... Nazareth in Galilee is a great big city. You'd be wrong. You need to imagine a village. An out-of-the-way village. Gabriel was sent to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her, and he, he gave her a new name. He said, Help. Highly favored one. The Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Uh, this troubled is, 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 is a, like almost the same word as agitated. Right? Deeply perplexed. She is, what is going on with this outrageous claim that this angel has just said to me? I'm highly favored. The Lord is with me, and I'm blessed among women. She was troubled at his saying. She, she, she cast in her mind. She began to think, what manner of salutation this should be? How, how, why would he greet me like this? And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I do think it would be necessary for us to remind ourselves that Mary probably didn't look at her life and think that it was much favored up until this point. Uh, she was in Nazareth. Nazareth, the out-of-the-way place. She was in uh, the Galilee. Now, if you know anything about Israel's history, things don't happen in Nazareth, in the Galilee. Everything took place in Jerusalem, in Judah. That's where the temple was. That's where the action was. That's where things happened. Uh, Mary was not in the center of where things happened. Uh, she doesn't seem to be from a high-class noble family. Yeah, maybe generations ago there was some royalty in her line, but uh, it's long past them over now. So up until this point, Mary has just lived a normal, maybe even below average in human estimation life. Why is this angel coming in and saying to me, I'm favored, highly favored, blessed among women. I don't get it. What's he mean by I've found favor in God's sight? Here, Gabriel continues. He says, behold, you shall conceive a child in thy womb and you will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. We are so familiar with this story that we hardly even pause at what the angel is saying here. Historically, Israel has not had a legitimate king on the throne for hundreds of years. The king that they have on the throne is, uh, is, is he married into a Jewish family so that he could take the throne. And he was a brutal dictator king. His name was Herod. They called him Herod the Great. Um, uh, Caesar said, it, I would rather be Herod's pig than one of Herod's sons because Herod was known to have killed several of his sons because he thought that they were plotting against his throne. So they had a king like that, or not even a real full legitimate sovereign king, a puppet king. But there was this ancient promise that God had told them. And all the prophets, Isaiah was one of the prophets that God said, I am going to restore Israel. They're going to go into exile, but I'm going to restore them and I'm going to raise up the throne of David once again. This was hundreds of years before Mary was born. 
And so Gabriel says to Mary, you're not only going to have a baby, you are going to have the baby that God promised all Israel, the baby who will sit on David's throne. Remember David and Goliath? That David, he's going to resume his throne, and once he takes his throne, his kingdom will never end. It will always go on forever and ever. Perpetual dynasty. Mary says unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is going to be a miraculous, outrageous, audacious claim that the angel makes. One day you will find yourself pregnant having done none of the things that gets one pregnant. And you should just know that God did this. Wow. Take it in. Uh, Mary probably grew up with farm animals around and she knew uh, what happened in the spring and where the babies came from. How's this going to happen to me? It's going to be a miracle. I want us to point out this reality here. Because this is the drama of the story. Uh, the religious aspect of the story is that Mary believes this at all. Gabriel says, here's how you can know that this has happened. Listen, not only are you pregnant, but listen, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, she used to be called barren, but now she has a child. And then the angel says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary accepted this outrageous, audacious claim that Gabriel said was going to happen. If we look to Mary, one of the things that we can know as those of us who wait, we have to know that what we are waiting for is an outrageous, audacious claim. I was sitting down with a young man the other day, and I was telling him, my faith means that I trust that Jesus, who died came back to life three days later. I really, literally believe that happened. I believe that based on eyewitness testimony that has been preserved for us. I further believe that he is in uh, the presence of the Father, and at one day, he's going to raise everyone in the name of Jesus. Everyone who is in Jesus is going to be raised to new life. That's an outrageous claim. And I believe that that kingdom that uh, we long to see, you and I long to see justice in this world, do we not? We long to see equity in this world. We long for a world where there's no corrupt politics. Yeah. Right? Uh, we long for a world where people treat people with dignity and respect no matter what they look like. Yes. 
what ideals they have, no matter whether their values are different than ours. They understand that this world is filled with a variety of complex individuals. And we're not all automatons. We're not all robots. And God, just like he made uh, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, and then he gets red and yellow, black and white. They are precious. And it's like, he, just, he made them all different, not just exteriorly. So we long for this world, and it's an audacious hope for us. You know, uh, a few years ago, uh, Barack Obama said the audacity of hope. He had no clue what he was talking about because the hope that I have goes well beyond America being great again. We are longing for a new creation and a new kingdom with the king of kings sitting on the throne. And all of us surrendered like Mary. I'm just the servant, God. Tell me what to do. So as we look and we wait, we can look to Mary and we can remember this is an audacious, outrageous claim that we are hoping that Jesus died, rose again, and the one who died and rose again first came. He was incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He rose again, and he's coming again. And when he does, he is going to restore all things. So at Christmas, we aren't hoping for a new present, a shiny bike. Uh, my kids got roller skates today from their aunt. It's going to be fun watching them bust their bottoms on that thing, right? Uh, at Christmas, we are waiting and we are longing for the restoration of all things. And at Christmas, what we find ourselves needing to do is remind ourselves that this outrageous, audacious claim cannot happen by your power and by my power. It has to be this work that the Holy Ghost does. And you and I should, should simply find ourselves like Mary, surrendered, ready recipients. God, whatever you're going to do, do it. I'm here for you to do it. And here's what you need to understand. Mary didn't just say, I'm going to give you all my mind, and so I'm just going to try to think really nice thoughts. Mary surrendered her whole body. Ladies who have had children, you know, guys, we do not understand. God chose a woman <laughs> for, his, for his king to come into this world. He values you. And she said, yes. Take, take my life, take my body. You do what you need to do So that's Mary's story. Let's go back over here to Joseph. Remember, Joseph found out that his, his soon-to-be bride was now with child. And Joseph was no dummy. He grew up on a farm too. He knew what needed to happen for her to have a child. And so Joseph, we pick up in verse number 19 of Matthew's gospel, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph said, let's just go ahead and annul this thing. 
and I won't make a big show about it. And you got to think, in a small community, in a small village, everybody would know. I'm not going to take her to court. I'm not going to make a big uh, hullabaloo or hubbubaloo. Hullabaloo, I don't know. I'm not going to make a big deal about this because he's a just man. Uh, that's not a just action the way that you and I think about justice, is it? You and I think justice is eye for an eye. Joseph has a higher form of justice in his mind than you and I do. He has a merciful justice going on. Being a just man, he was minded to uh, break up their engagement without much fuss. And while he thought on these things, I imagine Joseph was torn up. Guys, what would you do if you found out? While he thought on these things, while he sat there and pondered peacefully, oh, what shall I do? I've been so mad at my wife before that I've left the house and I've driven down sunset and I've cried out to the Lord, I'm so angry. Every time she does this. So I imagine that Joseph wasn't quietly thinking on these things. Joseph, his, his reputation's at stake. So he was in a, a heat. His heart was broken. He was torn up. He was, how dare she? But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we're going to skip over the next couple verses to get to what Joseph did. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And he took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph, like Mary, was given an outrageous, audacious claim. Uh, the one who is in the belly of the woman who is supposed to be your bride. Well, that's God's child. And here's the deal. You don't get to name him. He's not... He's not uh, the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. God gets to name him. And here's the name that he's going to have. We say it Jesus. In Greek it's Isus. In Hebrew it would be Yeshua. And it means God who saves. You're going to call him Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. 
This is a loaded term. This means much more to Joseph than those white lies that you told and those black lies that you told are going to be covered up one day. This means that Israel, who is in exile because of their sin, is going to be rescued and restored from their exile by this son of his, the one who saves. The son, well, actually not his son, the son of God who he will, uh, he will foster. So Joseph has this outrageous, audacious claim. That's the drama of the story, is it not? Here's, here's the religious aspect of it. He woke up in the morning, or maybe he woke up in the wee hours of the morning. I don't know if I would sleep after a dream like that. How do you, how do, you do? I had a bad dream last night. And I woke up feeling all sorts of weird. He woke up and he did as the angel had told him. He surrendered. He was faithful. He trusted. He was obedient. So here we are waiting. Waiting not just for tomorrow morning but waiting for that day when Jesus returns. And we can wait for his return because he's already come. And again, it's an outrageous, audacious claim to think if you were just to consider your own self, that all the, all, not just all the good things about you, but all those dark things about you too. Are you self-aware enough to know the dark things about you? You didn't just tell a lie. You are a person who is prone to lie for fear of whatever retribution might come your way. Uh, you, just, you didn't just uh, leave that off your taxes. You're greedy. Hey, guess what? I'm right there with you. You didn't just yell. You have some deep hidden trauma in your life that you've never addressed. You've never healed from. And you don't know how to cope with it. Uh, just imagine your own life and the audacious, outrageous claim that God accepts you as you are because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He accepts you as you are, and he loves you so much that he's going to rescue you from all your trauma. He's going to rescue you from all your rebellion. He's going to rescue you from all the ways that you hurt other people and from all the ways that you were hurt. And now let's just magnify that and, and think about everybody in this whole world that that is available to. And yet, you and I choose to believe this audacious, outrageous claim that God will save us from our sins. The religious aspect is that we, we do what Joseph did. We trust 
and we surrender and we receive this gift of God. And again, Joseph, I don't need you to conceive this child. This child's conceived of the Holy Ghost. Uh, hey, I don't need you to save people from their sins. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. But like Joseph, we can do the other things that God asks us to do. That Jesus tells us to do. To love people. Every last one of them. With all of our guts, right? To love them fully. To love those who look like you, who don't look like you. To love those who you agree with in political discourse and you disagree with in political discourse. To love those who have the same ideals and values that you do. Same sexual orientation that you do. And to love those who do not have those things. With, with the hope of this outrageous, audacious claim, I don't need to save you from your sins. I just need to love you because there's Jesus who will save you from your sins. Tomorrow, for those who are able to gather with us, we'll read the rest of the story. But tonight, we still wait. We wait until, uh, we wait knowing that Jesus has been born, right? We already know the end of the story, so I'm not leaving anything out. But we wait in the hope of this outrageous, audacious claim that the one who died on the cross, who was God incarnate, who raised from the dead, who is coming again, will save us, will rescue us. Christmas is not a time for us to bring all of our worship to God first. Christmas is a time for us to receive this word of God. Christmas is a time for us to surrender to this reality. Christmas is a time for us to trust. Freshly again. Christmas is a time for us to go, oh God, okay, behold, we are just servants of the Lord. God, you do it. Christmas is a time for us to look to those who waited before us and to learn some lessons about how they waited. Tonight, I've submitted unto you, Joseph and Mary, as two good examples for us to follow, to glean from. My brothers and my sisters, Let's accept it like Mary accepted it. Let's accept it like Joseph accepted it. And let's live in the hope of that expectation. And with that, I say, amen. amen. Will you join me in a word of prayer?
Uh, Lord God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I thank you for your word. Lord, of course, we have your written word, but I think about your living word, your son. I think about your breathed out word, your spirit. Uh, Lord, I thank you that we have this story preserved for us because, uh, Lord, it helps us. It reminds us that we aren't the first ones to be believing these outrageous, audacious claims, Lord. We're actually just following in line of a long history of people who have trusted you, God, and your word. And so, God, I pray, I ask that you'd be with us, that tonight we would commit freshly to trusting in your word. Lord, I pray for anybody who has never before trusted in your word, that tonight might be that night that they would trust in your word. I pray these things. With that, I'm going to ask you all to do this. I'm going to give you all a few minutes to consider whether or not you have full trust in these outrageous, audacious claims about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Ghost, and about his plan of saving and rescuing this world.